God. So Psalm chapter number one, we're beginning in verse number one. Looking at this morning, one of the things that we touched on last week was uh, being in that valley of decision. A lot of times we find ourselves between uh, Mount Blessing and Mount Curse, or the mountain of life and the mountain of death, and we find ourselves a lot of times in the balance. And in, in all honesty, a lot of times we find ourselves there more than we should. Uh, but that valley of decision is so important because uh, one thing that the enemy wants to do is to keep us in that valley. If he can keep, he may not be able to keep you in the mountain of death and cursing, but if he can keep you in that in that valley of decision, in that middle ground, in that lukewarm veil, if he can keep you in that place where you're not going forward, but you're not going backward, he's keeping you away from God. And so one of the things that we want to do is not ever get comfortable in the valley of decision. The valley of decision is there just so that we can make those decisions lickety split, as I used to say growing up. Um, One of the things that we see here in chapter number one of Psalm verse number one, There's a contrast between the blessed person and the ungodly person, and there's a a a a decline that begins to happen. But we'll we'll pick it up here in verse number one. I want you to watch this. It says, "Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful." Now, before we proceed, I want you to notice something very important about this verse. There are three categories, and those three categories decline in order. It goes from walking to standing to sitting. And one of the things that we see in this progression, it is a a progression that sometimes can become a trap in our lives. One of the things that we see here is the, the person is blessed that does neither. Neither walks or stands, or sits with these ungodly people. Now, one of the things that my mom told me when I was growing up is that, you know, one one bad apple spoils the bunch, and, you know, if, if you run around with a bad crowd, then you're going to turn out rotten. And, and we see that a lot of times in our life. But one of the ways that the devil lies to us is that you may not be walking with the ungodly anymore, but you might just be standing. You know, one of the things that we do is we look at things in degrees and we say, well, you know what? I'm not robbing banks anymore. Now I just, you know, fudge a little bit on my tax statement. I just cut a few corners here and a few corners there, but I'm not stealing. I'm not robbing a bank anymore. So I'm not walking with the ungodly. Now I'm just, you know, I'm doing what I got to do to get by. So one of the things that happens is that the enemy will sometimes use this progression down to keep you in that valley of decision. The the blessed person does neither of these things, but if we're not careful, one of the things that happens in our lives is we'll get comfortable in one of these lower places. Notice what happens here. So it goes from walking to standing to sitting. This is what I call the progression of decline. It doesn't really make much sense unless you read it in the Bible, right? The progression of decline. How many of you know that whenever you first meet God, you, you, you come to the Lord and you might have all kinds of baggage? But one of the dangers that we see in the church world is that we, we, may, not, we, we may not do what we once did, but are we doing what God wants us to do? That's really important because one of the things that Jesus really got onto the Pharisees about one of the things that really irritated the Lord Jesus when he walked here on this earth 
is that he knew these people were religious outwardly, but they were dead to him inwardly. They had a form of religion, but they did not know the power thereof. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. They said the right thing, but they did the wrong thing. They knew outwardly how to show a demonstration, but they didn't have a possession of God on the inside. And that's what God is looking for, and the devil would love for you to stay in a place where you say the right thing, but not want to. Or where you'll do the right thing, but be griping the whole way where you're not where God wants you to be, where you can go through the motions or you can have an outward appearance of religious. But religiosity is not where God wants you to be. God wants you to be in a place where you're His whole and whole, where we've surrendered to Him and He's filled us with His Holy Spirit and He's able to use us and live in us. The Bible says that that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Amen? So it's not about memorizing something or regurgitating something pastor said, but it's about God living in you. And it's not, it's not just simply knowing about God, but having God truly in your life. Now, one of the ways that this happens, like I said, here in Psalm 1, you see that there's this progression that goes, it, and, and it's getting better. So the way that we would look at it in the church is we would say, well, you know, they don't get drunk every day of the week. Now it's just, you know, four days a week. So there's a progression there. Okay, there's a progression, but that's not where God wants you to stay. And what I'm telling you today is the devil will use that progression to keep you away from the Holy Spirit. The devil will use that progression. He'll, in other words, what I'm telling you is he'll let you gain a little ground to keep you off the holy mountain. He'll let you gain a little bit of ground so that you can put on the religious collar. He'll let you gain a little bit of ground so that you can say with a religious title. He'll let you get a little bit of ground so that your conscience is soothed just a little bit. So long as he can keep you off that holy mountain. But God is calling his children to that holy mountain. God is calling his children to let go of their life as it is, to let go of their their personhood, to let go of their past, to let go of their future, and to rend their hearts to him, and go up that holy mountain, and let the hand of God begin to shine upon you, and change you by his own glory, let his light come upon you, and take you out of the darkness, and into his light. But you see, that, like I said, the, the, the enemy has been around a long time. He was, he's been around a long time. He was around before us. He's, he knows how to trick people. He knows. He's sly. He's subtle, but he's deadly. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's a liar. He's an imitator. And one of the things that he does is he'll whisper to you and he'll tell you, you got enough church in you. You got enough. You, you know a song now. You've got a little bit of religion. You're not robbing banks anymore. You're not doing this anymore. You're, you know, you're not cursing as much as you used to do. And you're not, you know, maybe you're not cheating on your wife anymore. Now you're just bound by pornography. But you know, the devil will say, he'll, he'll lie to you that way. And he'll say, well, you're not doing that anymore. You got a little bit of religion now. But all that is, is the devil giving you a little ground to keep you off the holy mountain. That's all that he's doing. That's all he's doing. 
And so one of the things that we need to see in the scripture is that there's this, this progression that goes down. And notice it says that the blessed person doesn't stop at walking or standing or sitting. The, the blessed person is that one who will not yield to the left and will not yield to the right. The blessed person is the one who will not stop until they hit pay dirt, until they hit the Holy Ghost. The the blessed person is that one that will dig down deep in prayer and ask God, search me, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me. I don't think there is, but if there's something wrong in here, show me, God, because I will lie to myself. I don't know about you, but I will. And the Bible says we all do, honestly. In Jeremiah 17, it says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Your heart will tell you you your right to keep you off that holy mountain your heart will tell you you've done enough just bring some canned goods to the church and then you don't have to press into the spirit but God is calling you to leave all God is calling you to leave all and to go up to that holy mountain and to see God and to be changed by the presence of God and to never be the same but oh that subtle devil He will tell you you've changed enough. He'll tell you you've got enough. Amen? Amen. Well, I think if anybody could have said that, that'd be the disciples that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. These fishermen who left their whole business, they left everything. Peter said, Lord, we've left everything for you. I mean, they left it all and they became disciples. They became apostles and they walked with the Lord and God used them in mighty ways. And if you read Matthew 10, they went about and they healed people. They delivered people from demonic possession. I mean, they were used by God. But they didn't have all that God wanted them to have. Jesus, after he was risen from the dead, he told those disciples, he said, tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. In other words, you need to go up to that holy mountain. You're not going to be what God wants you to be until you go up to that holy mountain alone and get with God and let God get with you. You're never going to be all that, you're never going to have all that God wants you to have until you say goodbye to everything and surrender everything to Jesus. Or you can truly say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And it's at that moment when we surrender to God that God would come upon us and God would fill us and God would seal us. But up until then, the devil will lie to you and tell you, you got enough religion. You got enough. Right? Come on. We change the way we wear our ties now. We, 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 we sit up properly now. We, we got a haircut. We're good now. But the devil will keep you there in that valley of decision. The one thing that irritated the Lord the most as he walked upon this earth was the religiosity of the Pharisees. And we look at them and we say, oh, look what Jesus told them. That, you know, that they were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. And yet, in the church, we allow people to purify themselves on the outside and we care nothing about the inside. As long as they're at church, as long as they look pretty, sound pretty, get a smile on their face, put our bumper sticker on their car, wear this and do that, as long as they do, who cares what's going on on the inside of a person? But I'm here to tell you that God cares. 
I'm here to tell you that God's not satisfied with us staying in a place off of that holy mountain. I'm here to tell you that God's the one that changes hearts, not men. I'm here to tell you that it's the Holy Spirit you need. It is God that you need in your life. God can change us in ways that men cannot change us. God changes us from the inside out. All man can do is press upon you a cookie cutter they want you to fit into. But when God gets inside you, God does all that he needs to do in you. He changes you from the inside out. He transforms us. He doesn't conform us. He takes the power of God and puts it inside an individual and he changes their heart. He changes their desire. He changes their their dreams. And he changes their pursuit. Now when you look at this next verse, in verse number two, it says there's a key word I want you to see. It says delight. Do you see that? The, the delight of this blessed person is what? To do God's will, the law. Now, that's important because one of the things that religiosity from, from Pharisees can never do is substitute delight. You know, the Bible says in another psalm that if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? It, it doesn't mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to get that Ferrari. That's what the charlatans say. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart because your heart will be after him. Because your heart will be after him. In other words, he loves you and he's not going to hold himself back from you. If he becomes the delight of your soul, he will open up the windows of heaven and he will come down into your life and he will fill you and he will, he will put his spirit within you and he will give you more than you need. Because God is good. And he, look, he doesn't want you to go through this life without him. But his desire is that he, he is the desire of your heart. Now notice what happens here. It says that this blessed person, this blessed person, it says, but in his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. When was the last time that could be said of us? Because a lot of times we, we wonder like, Who's going to win the election or who's going to win the ball game? And am I going to get a raise? And am I going to get this? And who did that? And who got kicked off that show? And when, when are they going to pay me my $20 back? But this blessed person, their mind, their heart is on God. It's meditating on his law day and night. In other words, this person is consumed. They have a holy zeal for God, and they're not going to come off of it. Their one pursuit in life is God, his glory. That cannot be, you can't service that out of somebody. When God is the desire of your soul, you will follow him. You will follow him through valleys, through mountains, through deserts. You'll follow him even like Moses did all the way up to that, to that river. And, and, and God will part the sea if he needs to. But if God is doing it, if God is doing it in you, he'll lead you to a place that he'll deliver you from. Now, one of the things that I want you to see, though, is that there's this, this process or progression of decline. Progression of decline. Now, one of the things that happens is, you know, this... God will, will move in our life by conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. He convicts the world of sin. And anybody that ever tells you that that's not true is misconstruing God's word. But we're still supposed to repent and the Holy Spirit still convicts. 
When the Holy Spirit can put his finger on an issue in our lives that the preacher's not even talking about. I've had that happen so many times. I remember, teach, I remember preaching one time, and I was, I was preaching about this woman that was uh, caught in adultery. And I was sharing, but in a totally different issue. But after church, this woman came to me, and she said, How did you know? How dare you share that I have been a prostitute? I didn't know that. I had no idea. I, I didn't even make a remark about her at all. But the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction upon her. And, and once she realized it, she broke. I mean, the tears began to fall. I mean, no more did we begin to, talking about that than conviction began to set in. And God had his way. And God had his way. And I want you to know God wants to have his way in you. God loves you. God, you know, whenever Jesus went to the cross, it says that, that he went to the cross and he despised the shame. But you know why he went there? He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was you. Even through our sin, even through our failures, even through the times that we did wrong and we knew it was wrong and we rebelled against God and we knew it and we did wrong anyways and we feel bad about it and the devil takes that big old stick and says, that's all you are. God loved us through that and he went to the cross to bear that sin at Calvary because, look, there's no way for you to get that sin off your neck. The only way to get that sin off your neck is that God would take it off. And God took it off at Calvary. The Bible says that He nailed our sins to the cross, taking them out of the way. He blotted those transgressions out. God removed those sins at Calvary. He nailed them to His cross because His desire for you, His desire for you was so great. And then we, on the other hand, have a mission. We have a mission. That mission is to follow God to the holy mountain. Is to not allow the enemy to whisper in our ears, you've come far enough. You've come far enough. You see, one of the most dangerous things that we can do is begin to compromise. Now, when you begin to talk about compromise in the church, we can go off on tangents. We can talk about this and that. But compromise is really a deal you make with the flesh. Because your flesh don't want to give all to God. Your spirit, your spirit wants to. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, according to Jesus. Your spirit wants to go to those altars and surrender everything to God and lay it all down. The spirit is crying out, save me, save me. But the flesh is saying, just give a little bit. Just lift up half a hand. Just talk to the pastor after church. Your flesh is all the time trying to deal out compromise to you. There's this confliction going on, and he's saying, hold back, hold back, don't give it all, don't give it all, don't give it all, because it's through compromise that the flesh, the flesh is pushing away the conviction of the Holy Ghost. But God wants you. God wants you. God desires you. God wants to save you and pour out his spirit upon you because he loves you. And he's not satisfied where we're at. He wants to take us up to that holy mountain so that we'll be his possession. So that he'll have our heart 
not the trinkets of this earth, not the things that our flesh desires, but that so he'll be the desire of our heart. Like it says in verse 2, that our delight will be Jesus. That in him we'll meditate day and night. You know, the meditating here is, is, is not the meditating of the new age where you go, mm, all that. That's not what this is. This meditating is, is thinking on God. This meditating that it's talking about here is thinking on God when you get up, thinking on God when you begin to drink your coffee or your tea, thinking on God when you go to lunch or when you're at work. It's just meditating on God, thinking of His promises, remembering who He is, remembering who He said you are, remembering His love for you, remembering His, remembering what He did for you at Calvary, and just meditating on that day and night. Well, one of the things that we do is we'll begin to talk to, back to the flesh. Now, you may not do it out loud. If you do it out loud, you might have to go away somewhere. But one of the things that we do is we begin to talk to the flesh and we begin to barter and we begin to say, well, you know what? I, I, I hear, I hear that, but I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go all the way, but I'll just go some of the way. You know? The rich young ruler wanted to do that. The rich young ruler wanted to, wanted to be one of Jesus' disciples. But he also wanted to hold on to everything. And Jesus said, if you'll let go of everything, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Because Jesus, it wasn't about money. How many of you know Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? I mean, he, he owns it all. He made it all. He spoke it into existence. Jesus is the creator of the earth. He owns it all. It's all his. But he told this rich young ruler, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. Which if somebody was writing that today, they'd say, go sell all that you have and give it to me and then come follow me. But Jesus said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And that guy couldn't do it because that's where his heart was. His delight was in the things of the world. And because that's where his delight was, he couldn't go up that holy mountain and be with Jesus. Can you think what he's thinking about now? I missed it. I could have been a disciple. I could have been an apostle. I, I could have been a servant, like Paul said, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And yet, because of trinkets, because he wanted the right kinds of sandals and the right kinds of camels, he couldn't follow the master, the one who made him, the one who gave us life. You know, we're, we're just dirt. And, 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 and God formed us out of the dirt. That's all we are. Except that God breathed life in us. I mean, that, that spirit of life God gave you. That, that, that animates us is on loan from God. That's how good he is. And yet, this guy, because of these trinkets, because he wanted more camels and more sandals, he couldn't let it all go to follow the master. That made us. So we see this, this, like I said, there's this progression of decline here. And, you know, one of the things that the flesh will do, like I said, is, is, is the flesh will tell you to settle for not being a thief. You know, in the church world, we can settle for not, we're not a heathen. Maybe you didn't go out and get plastered last night. But if you're not going up the holy mountain, you're still not where God wants you to be. God, look, Charles Spurgeon said it like this, and I think Brother Ravenhill echoed it. But God didn't send Jesus to give us better manners. 
Better manners are good. Nothing wrong with better manners. In fact, you know, everything's more hunky-dory the nicer we are to each other. But God didn't send Jesus just to make us wear ties and, and, and make us sit up straight. God didn't send Jesus just so that, you know, we wouldn't be uh, taking each other's parking spot. And so that we'd open the door for little old ladies at the grocery store. God didn't send Jesus just for that. But so that he would have you. So that he would have me. So that he would possess us. So that he would be the delight of our hearts. So that he would have all of us. His desires for you. Let me show you something. It, let, me, let me finish this out. And I want to I take you somewhere else just to, to come into this a little bit more. But you know what? One of the things I want you to see is it says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Do you know that there's some people that they can do all, they, they have all the tools necessary. They have enough, they, have, they might even make more money than other people. They might even have a better this and a better that, but they can't prosper. This prospering that he's talking about here is not like the the health wealth folks. This prospering right here is whenever you have joy in your heart. You can prosper with nothing. That is when you have the joy of the Lord in your life. When the light of God lights up your house. When the joy of the Lord is upon you, you're prospering. And one of the things that we see here is that no matter what happens, no matter how, how dry the world may get, God will continue to yield His Spirit upon you. This, this is what I want you to see. You, you, may not, you may not run with the crowd that you once did, but if you're not producing this, if the river of waters of life is not flowing through you from God's throne, you may not run with the same crowd you once did, but if God's not being manifest in you, then you're not where God wants you to be. Turn, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 real quick. Exodus chapter 3. This right here is whenever Moses had come into Midian. One of the things that you see whenever Moses came into Midian is, is he was a, a, a basically a felon. He was on the run. And Moses here comes into Midian and, and he finds Normoville. You know what Normoville is? Normalville is is not too hot and not too cold. Um, we could say it like the Laodiceans, they were lukewarm. Uh, the kind of crowd that Jesus said that if you're lukewarm, if you're not, whole, not hot or cold, that he would spew you out of his mouth. That's Normalville. No, Normalville is where you're not, you're not a felon anymore. You're not where you once were, but you're not where God wants you to be. Well, with God, I want you to know this. There's no gray areas. There's no neutral with God. There's no doggy paddling in the kingdom of God. You're going forward or the devil's bringing you backwards. But God is not 
God is not willing that you perish. So he's going to work in your life to cultivate you, to grow stronger and to go deeper. The Holy Spirit may be grieved, but he's grieved because he wants you. Now one of the things that we see here is is that Moses got into a part where he just became a farmer, a shepherd. He just started working. How many of you know sometimes you you can get in, in a place where you get disillusioned? You know what disillusionment is? It's just a nice word for depression. Disillusionment is when things don't turn out the way you thought they would. And you just kind of resign to where you are. And, and, and Moses, at one point, he thought, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm part of Pharaoh's household, and now I'm a Hebrew, and maybe we can make this thing work, and it didn't work. And he frustrated it, and, and, and he... He got disillusioned and he got banished. And here he finds himself as a shepherd. And I think he probably just got comfortable. How many of you know sometimes if you don't follow God, you can get comfortable? You can get comfortable in that place where you're not going forward and you're not going backward. You you can get comfortable. You can get, you know what? That's another thing I want to tell you about. The Holy Spirit is not there to make you comfortable. He's the comforter but he's not there to make you comfortable because he's all the time refining us. He's all the time bringing us to a deeper place of prayer. He's all the time producing the anguish of the Spirit in us. He's all the time bringing us to a place where we'll be burdened with somebody else's soul. Well, we'll intercede for our nation or we'll intercede for these children at these schools or we'll intercede for these politicians that are godless and have no direction from God that will intercede for the way that things are going so that we're not just, oh yeah, punch in the clock, punch out the clock. I got my TV tray dinner. The ball game's on. Leave me alone. Normalville is where the devil wants you to stay. God's got a higher calling for you. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. But the devil wants to keep you on that progression of decline so that you'll not go up that mountain. Well, you know what? Moses had that same opportunity that I'm talking about. Because you know the story. He was there on the backside of the desert just tending the sheep, just tending the flock. He was just doing his thing, punching in the clock, punching out, got his TV tray dinner. He probably watched the ball game at night. What a life. But that's not where God wants you to be. That's not where God wanted him to be. God had a higher calling for Moses, and you may not lead Egypt, you may not lead Israel out of Egypt, but God's got a higher calling for you. God has a higher calling for us than to eat a TV tray dinner and watch a ball game. Amen. Lukewarm. God doesn't want us to say lukewarm. So let's look what Moses did. It says in verse number one, it says, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. There you go. He came to the mountain of God. Do you think he knew it was the mountain of God? I don't know. Jethro was a priest of God. But he came up to that. So you know, sometimes you can just kind of get sucked into going to church. You just really didn't mean it. You, you know, you wasn't really trying, but you kind of find yourself around some godly folks or maybe you're just driving down the road and you see some godly folks, outdoor services. But Moses here, he just, he comes up, there's the mountain of God. I don't think it had a sign on it that said mountain of God. 
But there's the mountain. Found itself there. Look at verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while this bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now, this next part, he said, draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, let me just share with you, whenever Moses came down off that mountain, he was changed. There was a a glow on him. Every time he got around God, there was a glow on him. In fact, at one point, he had to put a veil on his face because his face shone so brightly. How many of you know those kind of Christians when you get around them and you can just see God in them? I remember, I'll never forget this, when my best friend and I, we got baptized in the Holy Spirit about the same time. I'll never forget his mom told us, she said, Man, God looks so good on you guys. She said, I can see Jesus on your face. Because she knew us the whole time we didn't have Jesus. She knew us the whole time the world had us. He, she knew us the whole time that the world, worldliness was the delight of our heart. And then everything changed when God dwelled in us. Well, Moses here in the story, he's, he's just tending the sheep and he sees this bush burning and F.B. Meyer says this is an awesome picture of God's holy love, how it burns. Because God's holy love, it burns with a fire so pure and so beautiful that it doesn't even consume a bush. It's hot and it burns, but it doesn't destroy. How beautiful is that image F.B. Meyer said. But here, Moses sees this bush burning, but it's not being destroyed, so he recognizes this is something different. And he goes up. And when God saw Moses come up the mountain, he said, okay, I got somebody. Now, if Moses would have not gone up the mountain, God would have still delivered Egypt, Israel out of Egypt. God still would have done it, but he might not have used Moses. Okay? God's plan was for Moses to come up there to get his word, to be changed, and to go back to Egypt and to lead his people out of there. But Moses had to be willing to go up that mountain and be changed by the holy presence of God. And you know, there's an awesome correlation to this in James chapter 4. Moses kind of epitomized what James wrote about in James 4. It's in James 4, he says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. You see, Moses was there just tending the sheep, and there was an opportunity presented itself. God had a sign for him. God had a signal. There was something that shifted in the spirit, and he began to pursue God. And when he drew nigh to God, God drew nigh to him. God said, Moses, Moses. And do you know that if you'll draw nigh to God, he'll, he'll call your name? My child, my child, here I am. He's willing to open up heaven. He's willing to open the windows of heaven and pour out the Spirit in your life. You have to make the decision 
You have to make the decision and tell the flesh that you've compromised too long. That you've held back from God too long. You've got to be the one to tell the flesh, back down, buddy. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And that war will exist as long as you're alive in the flesh until God calls us home. You'll always have that battle. So you've got to get ready for the battle. You've got to get in the fight and tell the flesh to back down. You've got to be like that woman with the issue of blood that said she didn't care what was going to happen. She was going to press through the crowd and get to Jesus. And you've got to say, you know what? I don't care what my flesh says. My flesh is going to tell me I can do this next week. My flesh will tell me I'll pray when I get home. My flesh will tell me that I'll try harder next time. But it's not about trying harder or waiting for another opportunity. But it's about saying yes to God and surrendering to God and rendering our hearts to God and allowing God to do all that He wants to do in us. The flesh doesn't even know what God wants to do. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think in your life. God's plans, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's God. He's the potter. We're the clay. God has better intentions for you than you can even think right now. But you've got to be willing to say, you know what, Lord? You are God. I am not. And here I am, here I am, I give myself over to you. And when you do, when you come up that holy mountain, God will call your name, just like he did Moses. He said, Moses, Moses, he'll call your name because he loves you. God's no respecter of persons. He didn't love Moses more than you. He went to the cross just as much for you as he did for Moses. And if you'll come to him, he'll receive you. You come just like you are, and God will receive you just like you are and make you new. Don't settle for not being a thief. Don't settle for, you don't steal from a bank anymore. Now you just, you know, do a little pencil magic with the IRS. Don't settle for, for you know what, I, 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 I don't do this, but I just do that. Don't settle for that. All that is is the flesh bargaining with you. The flesh bargaining with you to keep you off that altar. I'll give you a little victory here or a little victory there. Just don't go to that altar. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Wait until God is the delight of your soul. You see, a lot of times, especially in our generation, and just hear this. A lot of times in our generation, it's all about the blessing. Share this email, get a blessing, or you know, here's a teaching on how to get a how to have a blessed life. There's books, there's DVDs, there's all this stuff. It's all about the blessing. It's not about the one who blesses. It's about what you can get, not who gives it to you. Uh, you know, any parent would be grieved. What can you give me? What can you give me? What can you give me? Are you not happy just with me? And things will never change in our life until we're just finally happy just to sit at his feet. Just to say, you're the, you're the prize, God. You're the prize. You're the one who loves me.
You're the one that's here not to condemn me, not to shame me, but to save me. You're the one who paid my price. You're the one who sought me out of the crowd. You're the one who saw me down in the ditch, down in the valley, while I was drowning in my sorrow and sin and my shame. And you saw me, and you bought me, and you lifted me out of the miry clay, and you made me a new person. Only Jesus is that. Only Jesus is that. And today, today God wants you to stop bargaining with the flesh and to let him be all your delight. All your delight. And when you do, then, then God's blessing will be seen in your life. Not until then. I just want to point that out. Is so many people, they want the blessing, they want the blessing, they want the blessing. But they delight in the blessing instead of in the God that blesses. And I invite you to come to the God who blesses. To come to that holy mountain like Moses did. Through compromise, the enemy brings condemnation. If you keep yourself back from God, the enemy will say, ha ha, see, told you. Through compromise, the enemy brings condemnation. But Jesus told that woman caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go sin no more. Jesus set her free from condemnation. And he'll set you free from condemnation. If you'll come to his feet, he'll set you free from condemnation today. Amen.